How are y'all doing? Good, good. So, Carol, is boot print like a northern thing? Because, how about footprint, kids? Draw a footprint. That'll work. Um, uh, That's great. (laughs) I love it. My name is Fred. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad uh, y'all are with us either in person or those of you who are joining us virtually. And I want to echo what Carol said about uh, Joshua Merck and the Merck family and the influence they've been during this this season of the pandemic to uh, help families engage in worship. And, and uh, what's, what's really fun, on the other side of that, the part that people don't see when they get that email about how to, how to engage as a family, is that, is that Josh has been really helpful for me. Joshua has been really helpful for me because what I do is when my sermon finishes its first draft, like it is rough, I send it to him to get feedback. Because I want him to give me input from a person who's thinking through the family and just a person like him who's creative and, and, and can think really well. And so it's been great for me to get feedback and to shape my message before y'all even hear it. So, so not only have they done that, he's been a great help to me uh, in, in pulling that together. So thank you, Joshua, for doing that. Thank you. Well, welcome Fellowship Asheville. Truly, no matter who you are or where you are, uh, here's what we pray for you today. That today, uh, today's message inspires you to walk in more faith and trust in Jesus today uh, than you did yesterday. And more faith and trust in Jesus tomorrow than today. And so, so with that, what I want you to do is, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16, or, or you can uh, turn your Bible on if you've got it on your phone, or if you're here in person, you can join us on the Bible app and, and, and find us there. Now, I will say this, we are taking communion today at the end of my message, and so if you're in person and didn't get a chance to, to grab communion supplies on the way in, go ahead and do that. Uh, and if you're at home and you need to grab your juice and crackers and, or, or bread and wine, whatever you want to take the elements with, and go ahead and do that as we work our way through our message today. And I'm going to start off asking you to consider something, right? I'm going to go a little bit deep here right when we start off, right? Because I want to to kind of prep what we're going to see in the scriptures today. I want to ask you this question. Uh, Describe what your dad was or is like when only you are with him, right? Describe what your dad was or is like when only you were with him. Now, I know for some of us, that can trigger, trigger all kinds of emotions, right? Like, like my dad passed away years ago. I've actually been alive longer without my dad than with my dad. And so asking questions like that can trigger something. Some of you, you don't even know your dad, right? Like he was gone. That's okay. Like this is a safe place. I want you to enter into that. And still answer this question, what was your dad like or is like when only you are with him? Now, I'll tell you a little bit about mine, about my dad. Uh, Like I said, he he died decades ago, but here's what I remember about my dad. Is that he was a very jovial person, right? That's the word that came to my mind. He was was pleasant to be around. He he laughed a lot. Um, If you were a stranger in the room, he got to know you. That's That's just who my dad was. I also remember my dad being very present in my life. He, he worked full-time for years and then started his own business, but I remember him being home for dinner every night. Um, so he was very present. Now, what was also interesting is that my dad, even though he was very present, was also fairly distant for me. Like, I don't remember him 
talking to me about his hopes and dreams. I don't remember him asking me about my hopes and dreams. A lot of that came through my mom instead of my dad. I do know that my dad wanted to be a high school teacher and didn't. And I have no idea why. And, and, and so he just, he just, there just wasn't that, even though he was physically present and we had a great time together, that part was missing. Um, I also remember my dad being tired a lot. Right now, I get it as a parent. Like, I get it, right? But I remember that as, as I look back. And I remember a lot of my memories with him are him and his recliner. Right? Now, here's why, here's why I want you to consider what your dad was or is like when only you were with him. Uh, because I've got another question I want to ask you. <clears throat> and it's this. Describe what God is like when only you were with him. What words would you use to describe what God is like when only you are with him? And what words come to mind? Jot those down. Jot what your dad is like when only you are with him. And then jot words down that describe what God is like when only you are with him. Because here's what I'm curious about. Are there any similarities between the way you see God, the way you see your dad, when nobody else is around, and the way you see God? Now, for me, this came very true. Uh, after college, I had a bunch of roommates. We, there's five guys living in one house. Can you imagine what that place smelled like? It was nasty, right? But we, would, we were all Christian men, and, and, and we would strive to encourage and keep each other accountable. And so we'd go through books together. And there was one book that we were going through in particular. Um, and I can't even remember what the book was about. I've tried to think through, and it's either we did one on confrontation, we did one on integrity. And so I've narrowed it down to one of those two. But, but here's what I remember from it. We asked the question, when we asked each other this question, when, when you disobeyed, how did your dad treat you? Right, when you disobeyed, how did your dad treat you? And the words from my roommates were words like, he, he was emotionally distant. Um, he was angry when I disobeyed. Um, I remember one of my roommates talking about his dad getting violent when he disobeyed. And then immediately the next question was, okay, when you sin, how does God treat you? And here's what was shocking. As we went around that living room answering the questions, their answers were almost the same. Because it was, God is distant when I sin. God feels distant when I sin. God, I feel like God is angry at me when I sin. And I remember the guy, the guy who said his dad was, was, was violent. You know, he didn't say that God was violent to him, but he says, I feel like God punishes me when I sin. And so you see, oftentimes the way we see our dad affects the way we see God. And as we grow in our relationship with God, what we do is we begin to see past our dad and see our heavenly father for who he really is. And so, 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 so no matter how good or how bad your, your earthly father is, your heavenly father is better. That's what sanctification is. It's seeing God for who he really is. And by the way, your heavenly father is perfect. Right? So no matter how good your dad is, God is always better. And so looking past our dad, we see who God really is. Now, now today, here's why this is all important, because it's all going to come together. Because today, here's what I hope happens. I hope we make some big steps in seeing God for who he really is. Because that's what Paul's going to talk about in Ephesians. He's going to show us 
who God is, and he's going to show us the love of God. And here's why this is important, because what we're going to see today is that the love we give to others is actually determined by the love we receive. Right? The love that we receive from God is the love that we give out to others, which is why Paul is going to be so, so specific and so um, emphatic that we know who our Heavenly Father is, because that determines the love that we give out to others. You see, the love that we receive from God determines how we love all those who are around us. And so what he's going to do is he's going to show us the love that we've received from God, and he's going to show us what that looks like when we give it out. And what we're going to see, y'all, is how this fits into the book of Ephesians together. Remember, in the book of Ephesians, we're seeing how, how Jesus tears down the barriers that separate us from each other and separate us from God. And what Paul is going to show us is that when we see the love that God gives us clearly, when we see who God is clearly, and we give that love out to others, y'all, it tears down barriers. It tears down barriers that, that separate us from each other, and it tears down barriers that separate us from this deep and joyful relationship with God, barriers that we've built. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 4. Let's start working our way through this. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so here's what Paul is telling us to do. He's telling us to consider something, right? Just like I asked you to consider, describe your dad, describe our God. He's asking the people that read this letter to consider something. And he, said, and he uses the word walk. Now, now this picture, the, the, the word walk has this great picture to it. Because the word walk means to consider your footprints. Consider literally the tread of your shoes. Or in, that case, in their case, the tread of their sandals. Right? Consider what print you're leaving behind you, or in Carol's case, what boot, boot print you're leaving behind, which is actually hard to say. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, 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 so what Paul is saying is that, is that God is giving you this pair of boots. He's giving you these shoes that leave a certain footprint. Now, I have a pair of boots that I love to wear when it's raining and snowing. Right? And, and, and here's what I discovered in one of these recent snow snow. Uh, when it snowed and I was out walking the dog in these boots, I discovered something that I didn't really know, that the brand name of the boot is actually on the sole of the shoe. It's in the tread of the shoe. <clears throat> and so as I was walking, I looked back and I saw these footprints in the snow because I was the first person out that morning and there's nothing like being the first person to walk in snow. Isn't it great? Just that, that sound. And, 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 and I was walking and I noticed my footprint was back there. And the, the brand of the, the shoes is Sorrel, S-O-R-E-L. But there must have been something in the, 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 the sole of the shoe. Because what I noticed is that that wasn't the word that I was leaving behind. The L was covered up. So everywhere I was going, it just said sore, 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 sore. Now, I'm not an advertising guy, but that seems like really bad advertising for, for a pair of shoes, doesn't it? But it made me think, like, man, that's what, that's what people are going to think when they see this, is that my feet are hurting, right? Because that's what it says everywhere that I walk. And, and what Paul is saying here is he's, he's asking you to consider what is written in your footprint that you leave behind. What word is left there? You see, what kind of footprint are you leaving behind you? And if there is a word in the footprint, what would it be? And so, kids, that's what Carol's saying. Draw a footprint. And here's the question I have for you. Adults, you can draw a footprint, too. If there was a word to describe what is in your footprint that you're leaving behind, what would it be? Because Paul is saying you have actually been called to leave a certain type of footprint. 
Because he's saying, consider the way that you're walking and consider your calling. That there is actually certain words that get to be in your footprint. And that's what he's going to talk about next. What does that footprint look like? Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. And so, so if you were to look back as a follower of Jesus and see your footprints, the, the words in those footprints would be words like humble and gentle and patient and, and putting up with people. That's what bearing means. It means putting up with them, right? Now, here's the question for us. Is that the words that are in the footprints that you're leaving behind? Or would they be something different? Maybe instead of humble, there might be prideful there. Right? Maybe instead of, instead of gentle, it might be harsh and insensitive. Maybe instead of patient, it's hurried and rushed and overly busy. Maybe instead of bearing with one another, maybe instead of putting up with you, in the footprint it just says wore out by you. Right? What is, what is the, the, the footprint that's there? Let's, let's look at this because one word sums it up. Because he says all these things to be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. And what's that last word that kind of umbrellas all of them? That last word is in what? Love. In love. Now the word that Paul uses here is a word that we talk about at Fellowship a lot. It's one of Paul's favorite words to talk about love, and it's the, the, the word agape. Right? And, and agape is a very specific kind of love because what agape means is it's, it's, it's the love that we receive from God and give out to others. Remember, we, we've talked about this where it's the, the love we receive from God is the love we give out to others. And I would love for you, for those of you who are drawing and those of you who do like to, to draw pictures, like I would love to know how you picture agape love, this love received from God that, that is given out to others. Because that's what Paul's talking about, which is why I asked about your dad and how you see God. Because the way you see the love that God gives you affects the way that you love others. And Paul is saying when you see God for who he really is, and you receive that love, what it looks like when it goes out to others is it looks like humility and patience and bearing with one another. And it looks like gentleness. You see, Paul is going to show us what kind of love we have received so that we can give out those things. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so all of these things, uh, this this humility and gentleness and patience and and bearing with one another and this love is to create unity. This is that barrier language. When I was studying Ephesians and getting ready to teach it, I noticed how many times Paul talks about unity. And so this verse is one of those, it's, it's part of that barrier language. And what he's saying is when we love each other this way, this agape love, when we see the love of God and we give it out to others, it tears down the barriers that we've built that keep us apart. But here's what it also does. It creates an eagerness to tear down those barriers. Right? And so it creates an eagerness to say, okay, where are the barriers that I've built that keep me away from you? Where are the barriers that I've built that keep me away from God? Because, because this isn't the love of God that I received. The, God, the, the, the love of God that I received didn't put that barrier there. I did, and I need to tear it down. Because Jesus has already torn it down from his side. I just need to, I need to tear down what I've built up. And it creates an eagerness to do that. Y'all, can you imagine a church full of people that are eager to tear down the barriers that we've built. 
eager to identify them and eager to do the hard work sometimes of tearing them down. Dream with me for just a moment of what this could look like, like some very practical ways. In ways that I've seen here in the church, I think about the single mom who is exhausted. Right? And, and, and she's got kids and she desperately wants to be in a growth group, but she just simply can't afford it. Or even if she could afford to have a babysitter, she's so exhausted to try and find one. Right? Because I remember doing that babysitter shuffle, right? Like, like trying to find a babysitter sometimes is, is more exhausting than it needs to be. And what would it look like if a person that knows this single mom says, you know what, I see a barrier here that I can help with. Let me take care of your kids so you can go to growth work. Bring them over to my house. I would love to take care of your kids. Somebody did this for me, and it made all the difference. I'm going to tear down this barrier because I got to experience this, and I want you to experience that. Imagine, I don't know if y'all know this, but within walking distance of this building, there's one over there and one over there. There are two addiction recovery houses full of men. And those men have come to this church, and they want to study their Bible. But because of certain restrictions, they can't come. And, and by restrictions, I mean like restrictions that keep them from consistently coming, like trying to find work, uh, going to, to, to their meetings and stuff like that. It makes them hard to, to participate consistently. Dream with me for a moment if somebody said, you know what, Fred, here's the deal. Like if that's a barrier for them and they can't come to the church, let's take the church to them. I've been taught how to read my Bible. I've been taught how to take others through my Bible. Let me go there. And do a Bible study there. Let me take that barrier down. Wouldn't that be incredible? Or how about this one, students? Have you ever walked into a place and not known anybody? If you have, you know what that feels like. And you know the incredible feeling to have somebody invite you over. Right? And so what if you're at FSM and you see the new kid come in, the new student walk in, and you can tell they don't know anybody? Because here's what they do. As soon as they walk in the door, what do they do? They stop and they go to the wall and put their back up against the wall. Right? And they just watch. What would it be if you saw them and you said, you know what? Somebody invited me to come sit with them and it made all the difference. And you walk over to them and say, hey, introduce yourself. Would you like to come sit with us? It tears down the barrier. You see, each of these is taking the God that loves the, the, the love that God showed you through other people and it's giving it to someone else. And Paul wants us to see that love clearly so we know how to tear down the barriers. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this. He says, uh, this is where he's talking about the love of God. He says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Y'all, Paul loves repetition. What's the one word that's repeated here quite a bit? Okay, what's the other one? One! One, all is repeated a lot. I knew I, knew, I, knew I was going to do that. But, but the word one, that's the one I want to focus on, right? The word one is repeated over and over and over again. Now all is important because it also shows who that love goes to, right? But what I want to pull out from this is, is, is the thing that Paul is saying is that, is that the love that we receive from God only has one source, Right? It's one God that gives us that love. Now, here's why this is important. This agape love that we're talking about is from God alone. 
And we're going to receive it through all different kinds of people, but the source is one God. Now, this means you can't find this kind of love any other place. That when you experience love from someone, it is from God because God is love. Right? And God is the one that is giving love because that's who he is. And you get to experience it, like I said, through all different kinds of people, but it comes from the same place. Now, now, how much love do we receive from God? Look at this in verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each of you, uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So how much love have we received? Well, the question is, well, then how much love has Christ put on display? Right? What is Jesus' gift? This gift is the gospel. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that made a way for you and me to, to have this good and right and personal relationship with this gift. And so what is the measure of this gift, y'all? The measure is that the gospel is full and complete. Right? That Jesus' sacrifice needs nothing else. It is full and it is, it is done. That Jesus' gift is all that we need. And so the love that we receive from God is complete and it is whole. Right? The love that we receive from God is complete. It has no additives, and here's why. Because it doesn't need anything. Kids, have your, have your parents ever told you, no, don't eat that because it has too much sugar? Here's what that means. It means that if it didn't have that sugar, it would taste nasty. Because it needs sugar to taste good. Right? And, and, and so your parents are, are telling you that whatever that is, it needs something so that it, so that it tastes good. The gospel is just the opposite of that. It doesn't need a thing. There's no additives in it. And so the love that we receive from God is complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. And then Paul's going to go a little bit on a tangent and talk about how complete it is. And he's going he's gonna to do something a little strange. Look at this in verse 8. It says, Therefore it says, he who ascended on high led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What in the world is Paul talking about there? Well, let me tell you what I think he's talking about there. Because if he's talking about the completeness of God's love and the completeness of the gospel, I think what he's doing is he's referring to this, to this um, uh, display of power that was happened in ancient times. That in ancient times, if you won a war... What you would do is you would create a parade when you got home, much like the Super Bowl parade, you know, when the winner goes back to their city and there's this big parade. Only these parades <coughs> were a little bit different in the sense that you didn't just parade the winning army, you also paraded the losing army. And so what would happen is, is the, the leader of the army would go first. The leader of the winning army would go first. Right? And then behind them would be the winning, uh, the winning army. And they would be carrying the, everything that they won. They'd be carrying the gold and silver and armor that they won from the defeated army. They would, they would be on display of, of everything that this victory bought them. And then behind them would be those who lost. It would be the losing army. And they were stripped of their armor, sometimes even stripped of their clothes. And they were walking behind the, the, the victors in humiliation. And what Paul is taking is he's taking that picture and saying, hey, just so you know how complete this love is, 
What Jesus did in dying on the cross and raising from the dead and paying for the penalty of your sins and giving you this good and right and personal relationship with God is he won the war on sin. And so he's taking this picture and saying, Jesus is leading the army of the victors. The victors get to carry their spoils. And behind them is the enemy, Satan, who, by the way, is completely humiliated as he's walking behind them. And so what Paul is saying is that this love is so complete that it has, it has provided this victory over the heavenly things. Now, in a different book, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. We'll put this up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And so you see this picture of, of, of Jesus leading this army of those who have victory and then behind them are those who are humiliated in defeat. And so Paul's point is that the, the gospel of Jesus provides victory over the heavenly places, over, the spiritually th- over spiritual things, which remember previously I talked about with those things that go bump in the night that scare you. Jesus has authority over them. He's already won the victory. And if that's not enough, Paul goes on to say this in verse 9. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. That he who descended is the one who ascended far above all, all the heavens, that he might fill all the things. And so what Paul is doing is like, not only did he gain victory in these heavenly places and over all spiritual things, but also on, in earthly places, Jesus has victory. And so not only is the love that we receive complete, Paul is saying that the love we, see, we receive from God also comes from a place of victory, that the war has already been won. And the victory has already been established, which means, y'all listen to this, as we, as we think about barriers and as we think about the barriers that we build that, that keep us apart from God, that keep us apart from each other, what Paul is saying is that the gospel has already torn down those barriers. There's already victory in it, which means, y'all listen to this, there's nothing left for us to conquer. The work has already been done. All our job is is to participate in the work that's already been done. Which means when we struggle, when we, when we work hard, when we, when we enter the disciplines of the faith, we do that from a place of victory. We, do that, we don't do that for victory because the victory has already been won. Jesus has already led the parade. We have already been there. We're there with the victors carrying the spoils. We, we, that love that we receive from God is from this place of victory. Now, here's what this looks like. This means when you're struggling with sin, when you're struggling with that barrier, you can look at that barrier and say, it's already been destroyed. It's already been gone. All I've got to do is walk through it. That victory has already been won. Y'all, this is the love that we receive from God, that this love is from God alone, that it is complete, and that it is from this place of victory. And so what does it look like when we give it out? Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. And he gave the apostles and prophets 
the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. And so what Paul is saying is that, is that you had this love that where, where Jesus has the victory and this, this love from God that is, that is from God alone and this love that is complete. And when it goes out to others, it looks completely different from one person to the next because you've got, you've got people who are prophets, right? And, and they, they speak the truth. The prophet is, is able to, 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 to look in and, and, and see with clarity what God is doing. I heard this term about prophets that they're actually the whistleblowers, right? Because they see the truth. I don't know if y'all know Kari Spear, but Kari Spear is a prophet, right? She can step into a situation and see truth clearly. She, she, she and I had a conversation, gosh, it's probably, uh, well, it was pre-pandemic, so it feels like it was 10 years ago. I don't, it was, it was before covid but we were talking about the love of God, and, and God used her to help me understand this whole barrier idea or barriers that we put up, not barriers that God has put up. She helped me understand the love of God. Apostles, the word that Paul uses before prophets, apostles, now these are pioneers and these are trailblazers. And the love of God poured out through them, and they love uh, to, to, to do new things. Right? If you don't know Peter Ripmaster here at Fellowship, like get to know him because he is a trailblazer. Like literally, he is a trailblazer, like doing the Iditarod without dogs. Like he did that. And figuratively, like, like he loves to create opportunities for people to, to trail, uh, to, 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 to go where they, this sounds like Star Trek, to go where they haven't gone before. That's what, that's what an apostle does, right? Evangelist. Evangelists love to bring those outside of the faith into the faith, and they show them what faith looks like. And I love being around evangelists because I am not a natural evangelist. There was a guy uh, who, who uh, was part of Fellowship Asheville and then became part of Fellowship Weaverville and unfortunately died just a few months ago due to COVID and complications from COVID. Rick Phillips, if you ever got a chance to meet him. Rick Phillips is a guy that I consider to be an evangelist. He loved the Alpha Course. And the Alpha Course is designed, it's a course explaining the gospel and explaining a life in Jesus to those who are outside of the faith. And what I also love about, about Rick is that he was a mall walker, right? And so he would walk the mall every morning and he would tell me about the people that he met, the, the, the store owners and the vendors in the mall that he met. And he would pray for them and, and he would talk to them about Jesus. That's what, that's what an evangelist does. I think of others like, like, uh, like, like those who are shepherds and teachers. This is kind of where, where I fit in. We're the caretakers of the church. And we've got other people uh, here at Fellowship called the Caparellis. And here's what I love about the Caparellis. Y'all have never met the Caparellis. Because they're in Pennsylvania, and they've been part of Fellowship Asheville since we went virtual, and they are a vibrant part of this church from Pennsylvania. And when you meet them online, you can see their shepherding and teaching heart because in the comments they leave and in the prayers that they give, this is, this is who they are. And maybe uh, if, if you've been lucky enough, you've gotten a handwritten note from them. Right? From, from BJ, because she loves doing that. And, and it, it's that shepherding and, and, and teaching part. And each of these people, and y'all could go on and on and on about, about uh, names of you and the diverse and unique ways that God's love is seen through you here at Fellowship. But in each one of them, here's what, what is similar. That God has shown each one of them His love, and they have given it out. And that love looks different. 
It looks like an apostle. It looks like a prophet. It looks like a shepherd and teacher. It looks like an evangelist. It looks different. But y'all, for all of these, the purposes are the same. Look at verse 12. The purpose of all of these of these gifts, the purpose of God's love looking unique in different people is to do this in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so, y'all, what Paul is saying here is that the love that we give others, so the love we receive from God and the love that we give others is designed so that they can give that love of God away to others. Right? So the love we give to others allows allows others to give more love. That's what equip means. It means that the agape love that we give to others can give them the ability to agape love others. And so, what does agape mean? It's a little quiz. When I say agape, what does it mean? The love we receive from God, that the love that we give others. Right? It's this whole thing. The love we receive to God is the love that we give others. And so when we agape love others, we agape love others so that they can agape love others. Y'all, when this happens, let me tell you what happens in a church. A church is set on fire when this happens because unity happens and barriers are torn down and people matter and people mature. So they're not tossed and forth by waves. Anybody, anybody, anybody feeling tossed back and forth by waves lately? Yeah, me too. But here's what maturity does. Maturity is like a surfer on those waves and can read them and knows and knows where to go and knows how to how to how to navigate them. You see when a church is agape loving each other so that others can agape love each other Satan's ways are exposed. When we love each other with the love that God gave us, it creates this culture of loving others the way that God loved them. And y'all, a church culture like this changes a community. It changes a city. It changes, it changes a world. And look what else it does in verse 15. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head and to Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so, y'all, the love that we we receive and the love that we give, here's what it does. It grows us. Right? The love we give grows us. And so, y'all, when the love that we receive from God is the love that we give out, the church becomes this movement. Now, here's the question for us. Here's the question for me. Here's the question for you. The question is this. Do we want to be this kind of church? Like, that's the question. Do we want to be this kind of church that identifies barriers and does the work of tearing them down because Jesus has already 
torn them down for us. They're torn down on his side. Are we willing to be a church that identifies them and walks in victory of tearing them down? Church, the question for us is what do we want our footprints to be? Right? Do we want our footprints to be divided? Because I'm telling you, that's what the the world sees in the church right now. Is that the footprint that we want to leave behind? Or do we want the footprint to be together? Do we want the footprint to be love? Do we want the footprint to be peace? Do we want the footprint to be humble? Do we want the footprint to be gentle? Because if so, then it starts and ends in the same place, y'all, and it's with Jesus. Now, here's here's what um, I'm learning about myself during this pandemic, I was, talking, <clears throat> um, I was talking to some folks before the service. I used to write my messages 10 days in advance, which means that on Sundays, I would stand up in front of you and I would be preaching one sermon, but I had a whole nother full sermon in my head that I was going to preach the next week. What I've learned in the pandemic is those days are gone. I have got one sermon in my head because uh, if I don't, I start teaching the other sermon on the wrong day. Right? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you something that's in next week's sermon. Because I've done the outline for it. I just haven't written it. But there's this verse next week that has blown my mind, y'all. And it says this. It says, the truth is in Jesus. That's what Paul says. The truth is in Jesus. Which is why the footprint that we leave behind us starts and ends in the same place with Jesus. Because he is the truth. And so if we have a question about what is right and what is wrong, Paul is saying, look to Jesus. What did he do? Who is he? Because he's the one that determines what is right and what is wrong. But, 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 but I don't understand this verse that I'm reading. I don't understand how it applies to my life. All right, look to Jesus. He has the truth. You see, it starts and ends in the same place. If we're going to be eager barrier, barrier breakers, it starts and ends in the same place with Jesus, church. And so the question that I ask, are we willing to be this church? Another way to think about it is, are we willing to be a church that is truly centered and empowered by Jesus? Because if not, then we're technically not the church. We're just a social club. And if that's what we want to be, then let's be that, but I can't lead that. I make a horrible cruise director. I make a fairly adequate pastor. Because my job is to point us to Jesus. So I think y'all want to be that kind of church. I think y'all want to be a church that's centered and empowered on Jesus because we know that is where the truth is. That is where love is. And for you, if you haven't said yes to Jesus and committed your life to following him, then let today be the day that you do that because he is worth it. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, are you willing to let God show you who he really is? Are you willing to let Jesus show you who he really is? And are you willing to let him determine what love looks like to others? Are you willing to let the the, the love of Jesus pour through you? Because let me tell you what's going to happen. He is going to change you. Right? Because you don't know all of Jesus 10 years ago that you did today. You're learning more. You're seeing more. Which means you're going to change. And he's molding you. 
And the best way that you see this is as you give that love away to others. And so are you willing to tear down the barriers that prevent you and me from knowing God and from knowing and serving each other? If so, then that's what communion is a great picture of. And so today, here's what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. And so like I said, if, if you're watching online and you haven't grabbed the elements, go do that real quick. Because I want to talk about what communion is. And if you have the, the little cups, if you've got these, these are much easier. If you've got the other ones, you have to be uh, very specific in how you open them uh, because there's one little flap for the cracker and then you go another one for the juice. And so if you open it and you see the juice, you've gone too far. You've got to do the other one, all right? But I want us to take communion together because what Jesus did is he took this meal that symbolized the freedom and deliverance from Egypt. Because that's when the Jews would gather together and they would have the Passover meal. And it was a time to celebrate what God had done in delivering them from the tyranny of slavery. And they gathered together to celebrate that. And what Jesus did is he took those elements and he told them that this isn't only about freedom from uh, the nation of Israel, from Egypt. It is also about the freedom of us from sin. And then he had these radical uh, words that the disciples didn't understand till later. You can, you, can, you can see that when you read the Gospels. John even says it a couple of times. He's like, we didn't know what he was talking about until later. But now we get it. Because he, he took up the elements. And he, and he took the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And they took the bread. And then he took the wine. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. And they drank. And then Judas left, betrayed him, and he was crucified. And they took those elements for this last supper, thinking Jesus was out of his mind. And then three days later, he was resurrected and proved that everything he said and everything he did was true. And they realized that communion was something special. That communion was something different. That communion showed them just the depth of God's love for us, that God would, would die on a cross for them. That God would, would take them through all of this so that they could see how much God loved him. And then what happened is they took that picture of love and they said, this is going to be our picture from now on. Paul even said, do this in remembrance. That this symbolizes the love of God for us. That it was symbolized in death and resurrection. It was symbolized in sin being set free, that the sinner being set free. It was symbolized in sacrifice and in victory. That's what communion is. That is what this church is about. That is what we as Jesus followers are about. And so church, let me pray over us that we can be these people that live in this communion. And don't just take it, but we live in it and we take it with us. Jesus, you are so good and your love is so deep and it is so intangible yet so real. Father, that, that it can shape cultures and yet be held in a little cup. 
And God, we don't even begin to understand it, but we can see it. And we know that you have loved us and we know that you have sent your son to die for us. And so Jesus, in that we walk. And may that shape the words that are in our footprints. And I pray for us here and I pray for those that are listening uh, that we would understand that that gospel gives us footprints of humility and gentleness and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And God, that, that, that as the Spirit moves and grows in us as a body and, and in us as individuals, that those words would represent us more and more and more to a community and a world that desperately needs to see Jesus and that desperately needs to see the truth that lives in him. And so, Father, may we be good receivers of that love and may we be good givers of that love. In Christ's name I pray, amen.